So God is able then to forgive any of the mistakes that a prophet or messenger commits so long as it's not misguiding other people. If it's mistakes that apply to their own selves, it's only them harming their own rank. It's only them that are going down in degree. It's only them that are um, that are basically showing that they have uh, not enough faith or certitude. God can forgive that because that's a sin between them and God. All right. So now we have we have this taking place, and we covered the the Ulil uh, Azm prophets, and those are the best of them. Mm -hmm. And so let's quickly kind of like highlight, uh, lest somebody say, you know, uh, that maybe some of the other prophets um, didn't have mistakes. It's very clear that all of them did. We have Enoch in narrations. Um, he prayed that God bring down the punishment upon the people. And this is a common mistake that many of the prophets did, including Hosea, mm -hmm. questioning God's mercy and calling down the punishment upon their people. And this was a mistake that many of the prophets were chastised for, yes. right? Yeah. And that's a common one that you see. I think even Noah, right, in the narrations. Even Noah, Noah he lost patience and he called down the punishment upon his people. And in the narrations, uh, God chastises that uh, him for that in yeah. the... In the story of the potter, and yeah. uh, you know that story. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's such a heartbreaking story. But yeah, it's. Uh, Tell us about it. Okay, so Noah, after the flood, he was working as a, a making pottery, and um, somebody came up and uh, and said that he has to now. Uh, God is ordering that he smash and destroy all of this pottery that he's made, and uh, and he's. He's so sad and heartbroken at the thought of destroying all that he'd worked to create. And the, the point of the story is that it's a metaphor for how God felt about humanity. Because Noah had lost his patience before the flood. He had, he had had enough. And at some point he called, you know, to God to, to send the punishment, to destroy the people. Uh, because, you know, we spoke about the people were nasty to him. The people were attacking him and, and speaking bad to him. So um, he lost his patience and he said, God, destroy them. So uh, the lesson was if, if he felt that way about destroying his pottery, imagine how God felt about destroying all of his creation. And that's a very, very heartbreaking lesson. Yeah, I find that story extremely heartbreaking. It is. And so, so you have that. Uh, you have uh, Prophet Elijah. Um, away, you know, yeah. he gets he gets frightened, yeah. um, and he kind of like even though great miracles happen at his hand, when he's faced uh, and he knows that he's going to have to face the mm -hmm. Jezebel, Jezebel, what happens? Yeah. He runs away, yeah. and he basically like tells God like I, I please take me away, like cause me to die because I'm yeah. I'm done. He's a suicidal prophet. He's, yeah. He doesn't commit suicide, but he wishes his own death. And, and so he enters kind of in this category uh, with uh, a, a long list of prophets that got so hopeless at one point, let's say, or they lost uh, hope or certitude in themselves that they wished death upon themselves, one of them, uh, or ran away from the mission like Jonah. Yeah. Uh, so you have Elijah, you have also uh, Jeremiah, who uh, commits a great mistake when he uh, basically says, Lamatullah, on the day that I was born, uh, may God curse the day that I was born, like I'm, I'm you know, and 
and he's wishing death because of the uh, persecution that's taking place against him uh, during uh, his days. Uh, so this lack of, of faith uh, brought these prophets in particular uh, less down in, in degree. We mentioned Jonah before, and, and we know that story. You also have the mistakes that were committed by uh, Prophet Joseph uh, when he was dependent mm -hmm. upon God in the Quran and in the uh, Torah. He was dependent upon somebody else other than God. Yeah. Uh, to asked. release him from from uh, from the prison, yeah. instead of asking God to release him from prison, he he tells one of the prisoners that's going to be released to mention his name, to intercede for him with Pharaoh, so that he can be released. And because of this act of almost polytheism, Tiffany, yeah. uh, which is taking place. Uh, Joseph, uh, basically God decides to punish Joseph by leaving him in prison for many, many other years. Mm. And uh, It's hard. It's it really hard. hard because uh, <laughs> on a human level, you read these stories and, and you find them understandable. But for the prophets and the messengers, it's almost like saying God forgot about him. And, you know, like you don't remind God about you. Like it wouldn't make sense. So. Yeah, it's and it's also fascinating that a, that a prophet you you would never think that the prophet would would ever want to or have to resort to even thinking about asking for help from somebody else because they have God with them. Yeah, yeah, it's true. The Quran also mentions that when Zuleikha was thinking about uh, Joseph, it says she was thinking about him and he was thinking about her. And so it doesn't explicitly say that Joseph committed an act of fornication with her or anything like that. But the Quran makes it clear that he was thinking about her and she was a married woman. Mm. And so that was also uh, one of the mistakes. And the mistakes of Joseph also almost made him go out of the list of the prophets and the messengers uh, because they were so severe but yet, because nobody was misguided because of them uh, and because they repented, he uh, retained his his place. Wow. Wow. It's heavy. It that is he heavy. almost, I mean, a prophet like Joseph, who we, we know his story and he's loved and revered by Jews, Christians, Muslims, like that he, he made mistakes that, you know, it was just a thin line that he was walking. The, uh, David and Solomon. Um, yeah. They also committed mistakes according to the the Torah, the Bible, the yeah. narrations of the of the Prophet and the Ahl Bayt and Islam. And and the Quran. Uh, basically, one of the stories of David was that yeah. he lusted after a married woman. Yeah, and uh, this is mentioned prominently in the Torah. Yeah, and he looks outside of the window and he sees a woman. And she's showering and he decides that he wants her. And so he calls the guards to get her. And even though he knows that she's married, he commits this relationship with her. Uh, she becomes pregnant and her husband comes back. He was a soldier in the army in the ranks of David. And, uh, and this is the Israelites' greatest king. Like the Jews, they love David. There is no reason to keep this Story in their books, if they're trying to propagate the faith of Judaism, why would they? Why would they do something like that? Right. right. Why would they invent a, a story like that? It's 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 
it's unfathomable that it could be like a corruption. I mean, I've I've heard the argument that this story must be false, like from from Muslims who don't believe that David would have Muslims, done such a thing. any story that has to do with anything that is against the Muhammadan jurisprudence, they'll claim it's a false story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yet, this particular story, and I, we've. We'll have an episode to talk about this in the future. This particular story actually is mentioned in the Quran in an indirect way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that is in regards to the verses that are talking about the 99 sheep, and people can go back and read uh, the parable that the prophet Nathan gave David, and between the verse in the Quran, and you'll see that it's exactly the same story. Uh, that's being mentioned there. So uh, David uh, takes this very dedicated soldier of his who who just got back and he tells him, look, go sleep with Bathsheba. Go to your wife's house. Yeah. Okay. You've been fighting in this war. Now you're home. Go be with your wife. Yeah. His intention is that he sleeps with his wife so that when Bathsheba gives birth or her pregnancy shows, he could say, oh, and nobody would doubt that um, that this woman had fornicated, basically, or that that child was David's. Yeah. They would just think that it was... Your eyes. Exactly. But what happens is that the soldier is way too dedicated. He says, God forbid that I ever go down and enjoy myself with my wife while my fellow brothers are out there fighting on the, on the field. You know? yeah. I'm just going to sit right here next to you, David. I ain't going nowhere. That's what he said. And David uh, is beginning to feel nervous. And so he devises this plan. And he decides that he's going to send him back out to the battlefield. Uh, but he's going to put him on the front lines. And his intention was that he gets killed by the Philistines. And actually, uh, he ends up getting killed. And then David takes Bathsheba uh, as a as a wife, and God is upset with that, and God sends uh, Nathan to chastise David, and David, um, you know, ends up basically passing judgment. On yeah, himself, yeah, passing judgment on his own self, and he ends up losing uh, the child that. Bathsheba is pregnant with, but God in the end forgives him, and you know. She gets pregnant with Solomon instead. Now, somebody could say, well, this is a major sin. I mean, uh, you know, but once again, uh, the wife and the husband, none of them went into misguidance. None of them disbelieved. Right? Yeah, nobody was misguided from uh, that. Bathsheba, she had a duty that she had to obey the messenger of God. And that's exactly what she did. She obeyed the messenger of God, uh, even if he was commanding her to do something or, or even if he did something with her that was considered to be uh, a sin, right? Normally that a woman who's married should not have relations with another man. She still stuck to obeying the messenger in her time. And uh, she still, basically, she recognized that the messenger had more of a right over her than her own self. And we find that a similar incident takes place uh, in the time of Muhammad where uh, his son is married 
Zaid, his adopted son, is married to a woman. And the narration state that uh, Muhammad expressed uh, a comment about the beauty of his daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Zaid found out about it, Zaid offers to divorce uh, his wife in order to give it to his father, Muhammad, uh, and uh, he actually does so. Uh, he divorces and Muhammad marries the wife of his adopted son. Yeah. Just like David married Bathsheba. Yeah. Because in both incidents, there's this golden rule. And that is that the right of the prophet or the messenger over the people is the right of God over the people. Right? Because they're the messenger of God. Yeah. Now, whether or not the messenger is abusing that right or not, this is something that God will judge them on. But it's always the duty of the people to submit to and to obey and to follow the, the prophet and messenger in that time. So Bathsheba didn't make a mistake. She actually does the right thing. She submits to uh, David. She gives herself because she realizes that the prophet or the messenger in her time has more of a right over her than her husband does or herself. And that's why the prophet Muhammad, he stood in front of the people and he said what? He said in his farewell speech um, and in other instances, he says, he says to them, uh, do I not have more of a right over you than your own self? And they say, no, you do, O messenger of Allah. Then he says, uh, then uh, whoever I'm the master of, Ali is the master of, right? Yeah. And, and, and that means that me and Ali, we both have more right over you than your own mothers and your fathers do. We find Jesus also emphasizing this, this concept when he says, whoever loves their mother or their father, over me is not worthy of me, right? Yeah, so yeah. the the and and Muhammad when he says that me and Ali are the fathers of this nation, right? And yeah. the father always have has ultimate right over his children. And so uh, Bathsheba doesn't make a mistake, and neither does her husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, really, David just uh, his he, you know, obviously his intention was that for this man get killed, and this was the major problem uh, that God had. Uh, with David and the narrations state that uh, the angels and God basically they, they speak to the husband of Bathsheba in the afterlife and they say to him do you forgive David or you don't you have two choices either we extract punishment on David and it seems like David's going to be wiped out from the list of the prophets and messengers for this act or you forgive him and we will give you the same rank that David has and so he chooses the latter and, and David's forgiven, and uh, he's given the same rank as David was given. Wow, that's that's amazing. I, I have to say the analysis of uh, that, that you just gave of this story is something that I've never heard from any other person on earth, and it makes it completely understandable how the prophet can make a mistake between themselves and God, and yet there is not this misguidance of the people. And all of the people, uh, they've actually done everything right, according to to the requirement from them, which is that they have to obey the messenger of God. So I've, I've never heard anybody actually put this story in that context. And it's one of those controversial stories. And, uh, and I think it's essential to understanding it, actually, that, the way that you've explained it. And then you have Solomon. Yeah. Uh, Solomon, he's uh, he's got all kinds of riches. He's got a kingdom that God has never given to anybody else before. Mm-hmm. Um, God 
grants them this kingdom and power over all things, so the jinn, the people, uh, the winds. Uh, the kingdom it will never repeat itself except that it's given in the end times to uh, the, the, the Mahdi or the Qa'im from the family of Muhammad, uh, the narration state that he's given a kingdom that's uh, likened to the kingdom of, of, of Solomon. But Solomon seems to, according to the Jewish narrations and what's written in the, in the Torah and the Bible and some Islamic narrations, uh, uh, kind of abuse this authority. Uh, he has uh, arrogance that that happens, and this is a mistake. And he's even put back into his place uh, by an ant uh, in 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 one story, which uh, she, you know, uh, boasts to him how wrong he was uh, about thinking that he is uh, above uh, all other creatures of God. And this this queen ant, uh, when he's marching. Uh, the ant basically, you know, uh, starts saying uh, Solomon's going to destroy us and step over us. And so Solomon stands there and, and he says, who's saying this about me? And the ant says, you know, why don't you put out your hand and, and raise me up and you'll see who, who's saying this. And he puts down his hand and the ant crawls on, on his hand and he raises the hand up and he's looking at the ant. And, uh, you know, the ant makes the point that, like, actually, I'm better than you. And the reason why is because you're lifting me, see, on your hand. Wow. Uh, if, you, if, if, <laughs> if, you, if I wasn't better than you, then you wouldn't be lifting me. But here you are, you're lifting me. And then Solomon throws, throws it down and he kind of gets put into check in this very beautiful story. But that's not the major mistake, is it, mm-hmm. that, that Solomon did. Solomon was, was also, he was living very lavishly. Yeah. Uh, with lots of riches, lots of gold and silver and statues and and uh, things of delight in this world. Yeah. And it caused the Israelites to actually not like him so much. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And they one of the reasons why the Israelites end up rebelling against uh, Solomon and not accepting his his uh, progeny to rule after him is because of the very fact that uh, you know, they saw that he was living uh, too lavishly and it wasn't matching uh, the stories of the prophets and messengers before. And uh, it also, he had 700 wives, permanent yeah. wives, and he had 300 concubines. So this man had 1,000 women uh, that he would, uh, you know, be with. And yeah. uh, more wives on record than any other prophet and messenger in history. Yeah. For sure. That's the the most that I've ever heard of. And I I was thinking um, there is sort of a mistake with the scriptural basis. It's written in the Bible that God um, advised him like not to marry certain women who are not not worshiping God. Yeah, they, they were, were polytheists. Worship, yeah, polytheistic women. And he did it anyway, and they kind of like led his heart astray. Yeah, so what happened with Solomon is that he has all these wives. Uh, There's men that are married to one wife, and they struggle to find enough time between work and taking care of the kids and between their own duties that they have to take care of and responsibilities and and between giving the wife enough time. And so imagine Solomon, uh, who didn't just have four wives, but he had a thousand how is he going to spend time with all of these wives? How is he going to spend time and be equal and just with all of their children? 
It's it's an impossible task, right? Oh, yeah. If you spend one night yeah. with 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 one wife, imagine it's like four spending, years later. Imagine <laughs> in this day and age, you have a thousand wives. What are you supposed to do? You go, you have a movie night uh, with one of the wives. And and if you if you if you do the same thing oh, with each wife, yeah. it's going to be it's going years, to be like yeah. three three four years before you come around uh, to the first wife to to spend more time with her yeah, again. It's right? not just that's, not that's not assuming that you you have a few days in between for yourself too. Yeah. So uh, basically, when you're checking up on your wife every couple of years, uh, you don't know what's going on in their lives. And uh, many of them were basically practicing idolatry in secret. Mm. And many of them were going forward in the land and building temples uh, for their gods from their own countries. They were importing these religions into Israel. And because of this, it ends up leading to major catastrophes that take place later in, in, in uh, Israel's history where uh, people start worshiping uh, false gods and, and all of Israel split into two, a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom, kingdom right? Yeah. And Jeroboam and Rehoboam are fighting against each other and there's all these, these uh, splits that are taking place uh, due to this. So that was uh, one of the major mistakes that Prophet Solomon uh, is highlighted for in the in the Torah especially. What else do we have? A mistake from Solomon, you mean? No, or from any of the prophets, of the messengers. prophets and messengers. Um, so you find John the Baptist also um, at some point in the Bible when he's asked whether or not uh, Jesus is the Messiah and he's imprisoned. Yeah. Uh, it seems like he's he's unsure. He says, go ask him. He says, yeah. go ask him. And so there's a little bit of, of, of uh, you know, the certitude's not there uh, in that moment. And pretty much, you know, we could be talking about this topic for many, many hours, but I think we're well over. And right now, I think this is the longest episode that we've made so far. So in order to bring it to a close and to keep things concise, uh, I do want to bring attention to the Muslims and to everybody, the verse in the Quran, uh, which states, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And until the time that the prophets or the messengers lose hope, and think that they are belied. This is a verse in the Quran. And until the moment that the messengers lose hope and think that they are belied. So in this verse from the Quran, the word messengers, it's not something which is talking, it's not worded in a way that would be talking about specific messengers or some messengers, but it's talking about all of the messengers. Until the messengers lose hope and think that they were belied. So at some point, all of the messengers had thought that 
they were lied to. And all of the messengers at some point in their, in their path with God come to a point of pretty much losing hope. Then comes the, the, the victory of God at that point. And in the interpretation of the verse by the Ahl-Bitalim says that the meaning of this verse was that God had removed at certain points his infallibility from the messengers or he removes that enforcement from the messengers and allowed them to only depend on themselves instead of depending on God. And it was at those moments without the Holy Spirit, without the enforcement of God, that the messengers thought, whether it was for a split moment, like in the case of Jesus, when he says, God, please move this cup away from me, or... It was like in the case of, of some of the prophets and messengers like Jonah that actually ran away. Uh, it was a long, a long period. These messengers thought, Imam Sadaqah said, that the shaitans, the demons, were the ones that were coming to them in the forms of angels in order to deceive them. Oh, my God. So imagine that. That is... Heavy. That it is, is extremely heavy because it means that though all those 124,000 prophets that came to humanity, uh, they, they, they had a greater struggle and, and they, had, they had a greater test. And it really does show the justice of God. And it shows that uh, life wasn't easier for them because they were hearing the voice of God or speaking to the angels. But in fact, life was more difficult for them because, because even though they were hearing and seeing these magnificent things, like in the case of Moses, there's a hadith that states when, when, they're, when they're asked, like one of the Ahl-Bitalim is asked, what was the voice that spoke to Moses like? His response was, it was a voice that he heard in his head that was coming from 360 directions, right? Yeah. 300, uh, 360 degrees. It was coming from all directions. But nobody else heard it. Only Moses heard it. So imagine, yes, he's hearing it, but now he has to have enough faith and certitude that it's not a demon. Yeah. Uh, he has to have enough faith and certitude that, that it's not him going hallucination. crazy. It's yeah. not a hallucination. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I think we, we read these stories and we don't put ourselves in the shoes of the prophets and the messengers and imagine what it would have been like to be them. So the prophets and the messengers, they struggled more and they had more faith and it needed to be there in order uh, that they continue their message. And, and, and it's because they had that enough faith that they would be able to, rem to remain firm that God chose them for that message. So then... I think we've covered everything now, except for maybe one thing, which is a little bit still vague. And that is, okay, that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. But then still, they might have questions on, on why is it that Muhammad and his family, you know, like, uh, are better than 
all of the prophets and messengers? Why is their infallibility higher than all of the prophets and the messengers that came before? And the reason being is a is a fascinating one. And it's also a very sensible one. And that is because the prophets and the messengers, they were all in a race, Tiffany. And the believers were all in a race. Creation was all in a race. Some of them failed and became non-believers. Some of them were believers and passed. And the best of the believers became prophets. And from the best of the prophets were chosen messengers. And from the best of the messengers, the 313 were chosen. Right? So it's billions of people. Mm-hmm. And from them, 124,000 become prophets. Mm-hmm. And from them, 313 become messengers. And from them, five become ulilaz. And from those five, only one has inherent infallibility, and that is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi and And the reason why he's inherently infallible is because he reaches that degree of being two bows or less to God. And, and he disintegrates um, into, the fa- into the veil of God. He and all of creation, because anybody who is absolutely infallible is God. There's nobody who's absolutely infallible, even without a thought that would pass by their minds or a struggle in their heart, um, except for God. So anything less than God has this black dot, at least, of imperfection or that, that sin. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi he too, because he was a creation, had that black dot of imperfection. And if he didn't have it, then he wouldn't be a creature. He would be the creator. But he reached the rank where he got so close to God that he managed to ask God to forgive him for what has come forward from his sin and what has been delayed, right? And what he was talking about was this sin of existence, this little imperfection that he had in relation to God's perfection, and God forgives him for that. And, and so this forgiveness of that sin, right, that the other prophets and messengers, because of their lack of reaching that same degree of closeness, they weren't able to ask for uh, that forgiveness where Muhammad managed to do so. So God forgiving Muhammad for this sin of existing caused Muhammad's total nature uh, to be perfect and then to have inherent uh, infallibility, as did his household, because he asked for them as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the imams, uh, they started a new page, and Muhammad started a new page because Muhammad became uh, God in creation. And, and when we talk about monotheism, we're going to talk about uh, you know, what that means, that Muhammad became God in creation, so I don't want to go too much more into it. But now the successors of Muhammad, the Imams and the Mahdi's, they have a more difficult job than the prophets and the messengers did. And that's because the prophets and the messengers did hear 
God's commandments and they spoke to him through the angels but the Imams and the Mahdi's um, they did not speak to God and they were there so the certitude had to be even greater than the prophets and the messengers because they have to face everything that the prophets and the messengers faced but yet still have the same level of certitude and resilience that the rest of the prophets and the messengers did. So it's like being sent as a messenger when you're an Imam or Mahdi, but without receiving divine revelations from God and only having those instructions that came from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi uh, and and uh, the the spirit of enforcement or the Holy Spirit to guide you uh, on your path. So the prophets and the messengers they had divine enforcement and they had instruction and constant communication yeah. with God. Mm -hmm. um, the Imams and the Mahdi's they have the Holy Spirit and they have these instructions, but from Muhammad and not uh, constant communication uh, with God. So they need an even higher. Uh, level of certitude and that's why the imams start off with uh, having this inherent infallibility versus um, you know the rest of the prophet and the messengers having this earned infallibility and because of muhammad's night journey so anyway we'll stop there because it is a very complex topic and we've talked for a very long time now i'm so sorry for talking too much please i i could go on for hours I, I i hope that uh, you forgive me for that no please i i i've enjoyed today's conversation so much and uh, like i said i would love to continue it and i can't wait to continue it next time thank you so much for all that you've taught me today it has been incredible and uh, really enlightening thank you so much thank you so much tiffany god bless you